I said to the folk this afternoon when we were so well uh, entertained and uh, at uh, Kevin and, and Kath's place uh, that, that when when um, when Kevin asked me to speak tonight, I said I'm already speaking in in, in the morning <laughs> in the morning at Hollywood. Um, he said he said oh that's right if it's good enough for them it's it's good enough it's good enough for us. But I'm not going to preach the sermon I. I preached this morning because at Honiton I started a series uh, because I've been asked to speak for a, a number of weeks uh, on, um, on the life of Job. He's a, a, a wonderful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want to do tonight is, is just introduce him to you, this man Job, and hope that you, you will, because it's, it's, a, it's a large book, it's a tremendous book, and it, and it has so many lessons in it that you will go and, and you will study for yourselves uh, uh, this man of God, and he really was a man of God. <coughs> uh, so this is just a, a who the man is. This is an introduction. I don't know whether... Um, I've only got one verse uh, as, a as, a, as a text or a reading, which is chapter 1, verse 1 of the book, which I thought... Um, <laughs> don't worry. Is, is, is it, I've got it on the I can say it myself. Yeah. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. John Calvin, who is one of my favourite um, commentators, and I've also got a book of his sermons on Job, which are really, really helpful. But he makes this opening comment when he speaks about Job. He says this, he says... To really profit by the contents of the book of Job, we must know first the scope of it. The story of Job shows us how we are in the hands of Almighty God. He orders and directs our lives according to his good pleasure. Our duty, and this is what we need to learn, our duty is to submit ourselves to him in all humility and obedience, even if the Lord should raise his hand against us as he did with Job. And we don't know why we are to glorify him always. So this, this book, in its scope, as, as Calvin says, it covers Job in his prosperity, and then Job under tremendous trial, which is what most of the book is about, stripped of all the comforts that he had. And then finally, Job restored uh, with twice the blessing that he had before. And all this, of course, is under the control of our Heavenly Father, of His Heavenly Father, of, of our God. Now, God's estimation of the man, we, we get right at the beginning of the book. Uh, it's, it's reiterated and verified in the Lord's conversation that he has later on in chapter 1 with Satan. Because the Lord says to, to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's, there's no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So if you like, Job was a model man, what we all would be aspiring to be, a servant of God. So I just want to take a look at this model man, described by God as blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And so I'll just pray and ask that God will show us what we need to know. Heavenly Father, we... We do ask for your help 
to understand your word, to have, to have real faith, to appreciate uh, the word of God and its application to each of our, our hearts. And above all, to show us our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we ask in his name. Amen. First thing to say is, is that Job's a man of singular godliness. It's, it's, it, it, we would all surely like to have this sort of comment written about us that, that God says. Uh, there's none like him on the earth. When, uh, just for an example, when, when the people of God were at the lowest point, that's both morally and spiritually, uh, you can read about this particularly, say, in, in Jeremiah's prophecy, they were, uh, many had already gone off into exile, as you know, into Babylonian captivity, along with, for instance, Daniel and his, and his three friends. Well, also in, in, in Babylon at the time was Ezekiel. Uh, he was with the captives. Um, and God calls Ezekiel to write to, Jeru to those back in Jerusalem who are still there. And he commissions him to write and to say that Jerusalem's going to be sacked. Um, many will die of the sword or of famine. Um, and most of those who are left will also be carried off into captivity. And part of Ezekiel's message reads like this in chapter 14 of his prophecy. He says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel and Job, were in it, that's in Jerusalem, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. You should remember when Noah obeyed God, he delivered his family as well. Uh, God is saying that these, if these three men were there, they were no noted for their godliness they would only deliver themselves no one else uh, um, they were they were both men the other two men Noah and Daniel were both men who stood out in their age and day uh, for their godliness uh, Noah when he got the warning from uh, from from Lord he did exactly what he was um, uh, commanded and offered the same to everybody but we know the whole of humanity was, was destroyed. It's the same with Daniel. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't obey the king. He, he disobeyed the edict of the king, even though it was under the threat of be, being thrown to the lions. So the, this man, Job, is included in, in these, the, these three names. Clearly, he was a, a godly man. Um, and God calls him blameless and upright. The way I get, when I'm going to speak, I, the first thing I do is get a dictionary out. I don't pretend to be particularly well educated. So we look up, I look up blameless and I look up upright. Uh, innocent, guiltless, above reproach, beyond criticism. Another one said, um, above suspicion, honest, straightforward, sincere in his professions and honest in his practices. Um, or when it comes to upright, doing what is right, both outwardly and inwardly. A man of integrity, that's a good, one, a good word, I thought. This is God's opinion of Job, uh, not Job's opinion of himself. And, and you can, if, if, when you do, if you do go to study this book, and I recommend that you do, as you go through the book, for instance, you get to verse, uh, chapter 29, um, Job as it were, gives us some description of his, of his lifestyle at the time. Um, 
And he says, when the ear heard about him, he said, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw me, it approved of me. And then he gives a reason. Because I delivered the poor when they cried for help, and fatherless who had no one to help them, and the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. That's why I say he's such a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. That description there could equally have, have been written about the Saviour. In other words, Job fulfilled the royal law, as people call it. That love it he loved his neighbour as himself. These were the principles that controlled the, the, the life of Job. The second thing we learn about him in this, in this um, first few verses of chapter 1 is um, he's a wealthy man and also added to that well respected in the community he didn't, his, his wealth hadn't made him a proud and arrogant man God says one of the, it says he's one of the greatest men in the east at that time and it gives a list of his possessions 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels uh, and lots of servants and so on, so on which would have been the way to assess a man's economic situation in the day. Now I know that in some church circles some people find it difficult to equate wealth and godliness but we have to say when you look at these opening verses of, of Job, the Lord doesn't think like that. Um, just the fact that if you think of it that's why you have to get the whole scope of his life. When you get to the end of the book the Lord gives him twice as much as he had before. Uh, he, so that there's no, nothing uh, necessarily wrong in, in blessing when it becomes the material blessing. And you remember when, um, when Solomon um, asked for wisdom and it pleased God so much, uh, the Lord said, I'll give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honour, so that no other king shall compare with, be compared with you all your days. It was the same with Abraham. He was a rich man. It was the same with Isaac. And he actually says of Isaac, he had possessions and flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. So there's nothing intrinsically wrong with wealth. As the Apostle Paul points out to Timothy, it's, it's not a possession of wealth where the danger lies. It's the love of it. The love of money is, is, is the root, root of all evil. I was reading, was reading um, something of the life of John Wesley, the great, a great evangelist, who God blessed, used to bless England tremendously. And he said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So I want to emphasise this because it's part of the introduction to this man. He was a wealthy man. And also, as I said, it added to that, in the, he, was, he was well respected in the community. It says this of him later on in the book. When I went out to the gate of the city, and I'm sure you all know the gate of the city is where uh, transactions took place, particularly legal, but it's where the, where the, the, the elders of the city would, would meet. When I went out to the gate of the city, we read, 
When I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew. The aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue struck, stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard it, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved. So we can say from Job's point of view and from the way God speaks about him, all was right in Job's world. He had a blessed relationship with his God, a godly family life and a prosperous business and good standing in the community. And of course, Satan hated him for it. He's a f which I haven't got time for tonight. We won't look at that, but that's really what um, the book is about. Um, I'll come to that a bit in a minute, perhaps. But one of the interesting things also is when you look at the life of Job, most scholars consider the book of Job to be the oldest book in the Bible. And then it's, this is amazing when you start to try and look at the man's life. Because in all his conversations with his friends, so-called friends later on in the book, they never make reference to the Ten Commandments or any of the law or all, all the, the, the rituals that, that Scripture in the Old Testament um, contains. So they're probably right. This is a, a book which is about a period which was before all that took place. So my mind says, well, how do you measure godliness? Uh, because it's by the law. By the law, we, we understand the knowledge of sin, uh, says Paul. But what Job does refer to, when you start to look at this book, is his knowledge of God. He's like Enoch, if you like, of old. Um, you know, it says of Enoch that he walked with God. Uh, this is Job, you see, because it says again later on in his book, Oh, that I were in, as in months of old, as in days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head. By his light I walked through darkness, when friendship, the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me. He knew communion with God. He was, this, is, this is his godliness. Uh, it, it didn't come from uh, keeping the law. It was a relationship he had with, with, with our Heavenly Father. You know, it was a man who knew communion with God. And that's why, again, you'll find it as you read this book, that's why he's so bewildered when he can't find God's presence. One of, one of the things that really troubles him and gets him when his friends start attacking him is he says in, in chapter 23, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. This is what he's, he's longing for in all his troubles. He needs to find God. So, so uh, I, I'm, one of the things that, again, when you start to study a book, troubled me a bit. If, I don't know whether any of you still, I just, I'm, you probably don't, but if you look at the King James Version, the authorised version, as it gets called, is it says that Job was a perfect man. That's not a good translation at all. There's nothing perfect about Job which I hope we we'll see in a minute. He didn't think that of himself even, and it says so in the book. In chapter 9 he says of himself, <coughs> But how can a man be right before God? If one wished to contend with him, 
He couldn't answer him once in a, a thousand times. And then he says in another place, Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. So what we do know is that Job is a godly man. He's, he's, um, he, he's a prosperous man. He has a godly family. Um, he would offer sacrifices for his sons and, and daughters just in case they sinned uh, when they went there. Um, times uh, of, of partying together. So it's set before us as he's set before us as a godly man. Like all of us, however upright our lives, we have to say that Job, like you and I, are condemned before God. Paul writes. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside, all together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The fear, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Job realises this. And so Job understood his great need of a redeemer. And he not only understood his need of a redeemer, because one of the famous verses in the whole book really is, is his declaration that I know my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. So we can say like the, the, the writer that I quoted at the beginning, we're being shown a model man, as in many of the Old Testament characters do point us to, a, if I might say, not a model man, but the perfect man, our Lord Jesus Christ. Of him we read, uh, he is, is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And, and you know, as Jesus challenged his his enemies uh, to convict him of any sin that he might have committed and they couldn't do it. And no doubt they would have jumped at the chance they could. But this, this is Job. Job in that sense he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And he also does it as I mentioned, he pictures in making sacrifices, although he lived prior to Moses and, and the law and the prophets, he knew enough to make sacrifices uh, for the sins of his family. So when he pictures this to us, of course it's not in case we've sinned, he said, I'll make this sacrifice in case my children have sinned. There's no in case of we've sinned for us, because we've all sinned. It's clear, it's, it's absolutely clear. Uh, we've all come short of the glory of God. So Job teaches us of, of a, a godly lifestyle, but he also teaches us uh, of our need of a redeemer. And this is really what I wanted to, uh, to, to spend a few minutes on. Um, we're all called to lead the sort of life that, that, Paul, uh, that, that Job is leading. But that will never save us from the judgment of God. 
And he was perfectly well aware of this. That's why he said, I, I know that my Redeemer lives. And if you remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in Luke chapter 17. There were words in one sense, this is, this is a, a word that um, is to be preached to all of us who profess to believe. We've all sat here and come around the table, um, which is, as um, Derek has shown us, is such a blessing uh, and such a privilege. Um, you all come here, and Derek, I know to some extent Derek made light of it. There's, what, 14 of us. Uh, you're the 14 that turn, are willing to come out tonight. Uh, and there's remember when the verse came to mind, as soon as Derek said, a, a verse comes to my mind when he says it. When, when the Lord Jesus um, healed the 10 lepers, remember, and, and only, only one came back to, to, to thank the Lord. And what does Jesus say? Well, where are the nine? We could say, well, where are the rest? Uh, where are the nine? As only one a return to give thanks, uh, Jesus says. I'm saying this because we as believers need to, to take care that we don't rely on the fact that we're here. That we don't rely on the fact that we're seeking to lead a godly life before our Saviour and our God. And this is really crucial because it's so easy. It's so easy. It depends on your nature, I know, to some extent. It depends on how much a person of routine you are and you'll carry on doing things that which are expected. And we each think of each other as godly people, which may, we would trust may be perfectly so. But what we, the danger is to, to rely on that. And Jesus said this in Luke 17, when you have done all that you were commanded, so here you are, when you've done all that you, we have been commanded, say, we are only unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It's the most you can do, is what you, is your duty. And Jesus said to the, the woman who, who was weeping over him and with the ointment, uh, and they were criticising him, and she said, and even of her, he said, she did what she could. That's all we can do, because we need a redeemer. This is, this is where our hope has to be. The danger is, as we seek to please the Lord and live a life like Job, we can become proud of our achievements, achievements, or at least just settled. Um, uh, we, were, we were exhorted as we came to the Lord's table to examine ourselves. We don't like doing that. Well, it, well I don't like, Perhaps you do. I don't like doing it. I don't like what I find. I, if you know anything of your own heart, and I trust you do, there, there's nothing there uh, to commend you, nothing there to commend us. Uh, you know, we, we, we learn uh, what we're like when we examine ourselves as we come round the Lord's table. So our danger is, as we seek to please the Lord, is we can become settled, content. And whereas Jesus said, we, we, whatever we've done and how, however think wealth, well or not things have gone, we're unprofitable servants. We all need a redeemer. We all need our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have to ask, is he your redeemer? 
And you can only answer in, in, in your heart, is he your only hope? The sacrifice that he has made that we've, that we've just, just remembered, um, is, he, is he your real place of safety? So please do examine it yourself and please uh, cry to God. Um, a Christian lifestyle won't save you. I preach in, as you know, most, many, most of you, I suppose, no, I come from a, um, if you like, a, a, a church lifestyle that would be somewhat different from, from here. Uh, much more traditional, much more settled, much more, uh, in, in one sense, predictable, so even more dangerous, in my opinion, uh, because we, 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 we think we know a lot. Uh, and uh, however much you know, it, it's almost irrelevant. And it's, it's who you know, not what you know. So it's whether, whether our, our hope is solely resting in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only way. There's only one way. He, he said, I am the way. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. So whatever your situation and whatever other people might think of you, the, the call has to go out when we look at God's, God, God's word uh, to cry that whatever you've done. Paul, Paul says, um, in our Bible study, we're looking at going through the, the Paul's letter to the Philippi, and, and we're going to come up shortly to, to where he says, "I forget the things that forget the things that are behind." And if you know anything about yourself, you're only too, <laughs> if you're like me, you're happy to forget the things that are behind because it's full of mistakes and it's full of fall, fall, falls and troubles, uh, and and press towards the mark. He says, "Press on, press." Uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ, and He promises to save you. Okay, how respectable you've been, how impeccable your Christian life may have seemed to all of us. He will save you. Uh, there's there's an old um, an old hymn. It's not it's not in many hymn books, it, uh, but I've got a book of hymns by Joseph Hart, who who was a godly man, uh, and he wrote some quite unusual hymns, but one old hymn of his has this line that says, let no other trust intrude, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. So if you know yourself to be a helpless sinner, come to Jesus. He'll do you nothing but good. There was, a, there was an old martyr, I've forgotten who it was now, but this comes into my head. Um, Round, round about two or three hundred, one of the early martyrs, when, when the, those, the first great persecution came, and they were going to, they, unless he recants, they're going to burn him at the stake. Uh, and, and he says, and he was an old man, so he ran about my age, so I think he says something like, uh, 80 and three years have I served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's only done me good. So shall I deny now? So they kill him. This is the Saviour, and this he holds out his arms to us, whatever we've been, whatever we may think of ourselves. Job was an upright and a blameless man, but Job was a man who needed a redeemer. You may, I trust, be an upright, uh, upright and blameless, as I hope we all are, but we all need a redeemer, and there's only one, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's so I thought we'd close.
with 133 in the book, which is my hope built on nothing less. 